Welcome to Monday Morning Murder in the News with Alyssa Carroll. Good morning, heathens, and happy Murder in the News Monday that I'm going to try to release every single Monday morning because the rest of the regular news is just hot, scary garbage, and you know you'd rather be hearing me and my bullshit anyway. So I've scoured the internet for the headlines and had some help from some lovely listeners, so you don't have to do that. Happy commuting, and here we go. And sorry for the hum in the background again, it's hot and the air conditioner is going, so pardon me there. Our first article comes from NBC News. The title reads, She thought her mom's drinking may have killed her. Then a convicted murderer confessed, Austin police say. So, Sonia Houston wasn't sure what had killed her mother four years ago. If anything was to blame, it was probably her drinking, Houston said she believed. Until Wednesday. That's when authorities in Austin, Texas, revealed that convicted murderer Raul Meza Jr., 62, had confessed to multiple killings, including the 2019 death of Houston's 66-year-old mother, Gloria Lofton. Quote, had he not confessed, she would have just been another unknown, Houston said, putting the blame on authorities for not properly investigating her mother's death. Meza, who has been the subject of a manhunt in the May 20 killing of his 80-year-old roommate, made his admission last month after he called a city hotline and was transferred to a homicide detective, police said. Quote, my name is Raul Meza, and I think you're looking for me, he said, according to an affidavit in support of Meza's arrest filed Wednesday in Travis County District Court. Meza, who served 11 years in prison for the 1982 murder and sexual assault of an 8-year-old girl, has since been accused of murder in both deaths. Austin police say they are looking into links between Meza and as many as 10 unsolved killings dating back to the 1990s. The revelation has left Houston furious with authorities over their handling of the investigation, an inquiry that she said for years offered new answers and appeared to miss potentially key evidence, including a used condom that Houston said she found in her mother's kitchen. According to the affidavit, authorities accused him in the sexual assault and strangulation of Lofton, an allegation partly supported by a swab taken from Lofton at the time of her death that provided a DNA match to Meza in 2020. Yet in the months after her body was found, the Travis County Medical Examiner listed her cause and manner of death as, quote, undetermined, according to the affidavit. And Houston said she never heard from authorities again until after Meza told the detective on May 24th that he was responsible for the killing of a, quote, lady on Sarah Drive. Quote, it would have been different if she was white and on the other side of Austin, Houston's older sister, Christina, said in an interview. It would have been solved in a week. Gloria Lofton was of Mexican descent and lived on Austin's east side. An Austin Police Department spokesperson said in an email that Chief Joseph, I don't know how to pronounce that last name, was recently made aware of the case's details and had launched an administrative review of, quote, potential investigative lapses, end quote. The spokesperson denied to comment further. So, I'm certainly glad that it has been solved, though.
Okay, our next article comes from Reuters, and the title says, Mexican prosecutors say 45 bags of human remains may belong to missing group. So this is coming from Mexico City. Human remains discovered in 45 bags in western Mexico appear to resemble the features of several missing call center employees, state prosecutors said in a statement late on Thursday. The prosecutor's office said the remains found in the municipality of Zapopan were still subject to forensic tests to formally identify the bodies. Quote, according to preliminary information, the findings have coincided with the physical characteristics of some of the young people being searched for. End quote. Authorities made the discovery in a ravine on the outskirts of the capital city, Guadalajara, earlier this week as part of a search for seven call center workers in their 20s and 30s who had disappeared. An eighth person, potentially linked to the group, is also missing. On Tuesday, Security Minister Rosa Ikela Rodriguez told reporters that initial investigations showed that the call center workers, quote, were carrying out some type of real estate fraud and some type of telephone extortion, end quote. So authorities have been working to determine how many individuals the remains in the bags relate to, their identities, and how they died. I mean, if they're dismembered, it's... Anyway, so local media said the remains belong to both men and women. The state prosecutor's office said in a statement that the discovery came following a tip-off. Prosecutors added that difficult terrain and lack of sunlight had complicated the investigation. According to government data, over 100,000 people are currently missing in Mexico where organized crime has ravaged parts of the country. This state in particular is a hotbed for major cartels, including the Jalisco New Generation Cartel and rivals Nueva Plaza. Just a bunch of human remains and sacks. That's terrifying. So our next article comes from vice.com. If you remember about the Arby's employee that was found dead in the freezer. So the article headline for Vice News said, Arby's employee froze to death in freezer, bloodied hands trying to escape. So a lawsuit alleges that the freezer door was broken for months and management knew about it. The employee was found dead by her own son. Oh my God. A family is suing Arby's after a manager became trapped in a freezer and froze to death after beating her hands bloody on the door in a failed attempt to escape. She was 63 years old and she was found dead in the chain restaurant's freezer on May 11th at an Arby's in New Iberia, Louisiana. The family's attorney described a horrific scene when speaking to local media. He said, quote, I think once you see the police report, you're going to see how horrific this was and how it was described to me. Her getting caught in this freezer and trying to beat on the door until her hands were bloody. There was blood all over the door, and then she collapsed into a fetal position before freezing face first to the floor. End quote. Jesus. 
So she didn't actually work at the Arby's that she died in as she was based out of Houston, but was asked to go to the store to temporarily manage it. She died of hypothermia and her body was not found until the next morning. Quote, tragically, the employee to find her body was her son, reads the lawsuit. He did so after coming in for his shift at approximately 10 a.m. So the lawsuit filed by her family alleges that management knew the latch on the freezer was broken but ignored it. The lawsuit states a former employee said that a screwdriver was used to open the door and a box of oil was used to keep it open during the workday. Quote, Turbo Restaurants, which runs the franchise, had knowledge of an extremely dangerous condition at its restaurant since at least August of 2022. However, they acted with conscious indifference in failing to repair the latch for nearly nine months, end quote. The family is suing Arby's for alleged negligence, gross negligence, and wrongful death and is asking for $1 million in damages. So our next article or the next two articles that are related to the same situation was sent to me by an international listener. So thank you so much for sending that. If I butcher the names, I apologize in advance. But this comes from norway.postsen.com. Title reads, 37-year-old man charged with more than murder in the Mia case. So it says, for a long period, there has been silence in the tragic case of 22-year-old Mia Steven, I believe, who was killed in Elborg in Denmark in February of 2022. Yesterday, however, there was finally news in the case, which has become known as the Mia case, in quotes. It emerged that the 37-year-old man has been formally charged with the murder of the young nursing student. Now it turns out that it is not just the murder of the young woman he is accused of, the charge is not only murder, but also rape and indecent handling of a corpse. Oh, God. This is confirmed by Met Grith Stage, who defends the man who was officially charged in the case earlier yesterday. The man is identical to the man who was arrested three days after Mia's disappearance in Aalborg in the early morning of February 6th last year and later also produced for a constitutional hearing. There may be something lost in translation here. Overall, it says, I can inform you that my client has been charged with rape, murder, and indecent handling of a corpse. She also says that she cannot elaborate further, which is due to the fact that he has also far only given his testimony behind closed doors. Definitely something lost in translation. But, quote, it is therefore not possible for the well-known defense attorney to elaborate on how the defendant himself has explained himself in the case or what he says he's actually done or not done. Again, she says that he has not changed his approach to the case, which is that he denies guilt for murder. This has previously been stated to open the door and therefore she can comment on it. <laughs> The trial against the 37-year-old man is scheduled as a jury trial, which will take place at the court in Aalborg starting in just over two months. Nine days have been set aside for this case, and the first court hearing is scheduled for June 7th, while a verdict is expected on June 29th. So our next article goes with the last one, and it comes from, it's from 
Danish to English, I, I can't read that part. But the title says, The defendant has a completely different explanation for how Mia died, just wanted to help, he claims. So on Thursday, the case continued against a 37-year-old man who was accused of having raped, killed, and dismembered a woman named Mia. On the second day in the case of the murder of 22-year-old Mia, the questioning of the defendant, who had a completely different explanation than that of the prosecution, continued. She was picked up on February 6th last year in Aylberg by the 37-year-old man who is now the defendant in the case. Between 6.09 a.m. and 3 p.m. that Sunday, he subjected Mia to several sexual assaults using violence and threats of violence, the prosecution said. The prosecution also believes that during the same period he killed her by, among other things, suffocation and compression of the chest. Then, according to the indictment, he dismembered her and scattered the body parts in a wooded area. The prosecutor demands that the man be sentenced to life in prison. He's pleading not guilty to rape and murder, but admits indecent treatment of corpses. On the contrary, he claimed that he tried to help Mia to get home and that she died in an accident. Here is a summary of the questioning on day two in court. Note that the explanation is the 37-year-old defendant's own explanation. So when the 37-year-old man drove from his home on February 6th, it was, according to himself, just to see what happened. He drove around with his phone switched off because he didn't want the police looking at it, but he insisted he had nothing to hide on his phone. He also had a New Year's resolution to be on the phone less, so excuses, obviously. He also switched off the GPS in his car, but that was, quote, very common for him to do. He claimed this in court. I call bullshit. So he drove around for several hours until he met Mia at a bus stop, and here he offered her a lift, which he claimed she accepted. According to the man, Mia could not explain to him where she lived, and therefore they drove around in the car for a long time. The defendant did not think she was particularly under the influence of alcohol, as the prosecutor says, but he could not explain why she could not say where she lived. They ended up driving to the Camp Hammer military training area in a wooded area of Hammer Baker, Bakker, and the man claimed they flirted in the car. Because sure. The defendant knew the place well because of his time as a sergeant in the army. Here began what the prosecutor calls rape in a sexual relationship other than intercourse without her consent, but which the defendant believes that the now-killed woman herself initiated. Several of the above elements were also excluded from the questioning by the police on February 9th, where he said that he had dropped off Mia at a Gvikli? I'm butchering this, I'm sorry. The man and Mia left the car and went into the forest area in Hammer, he explained. According to the defendant, there was a distance of several meters between them when he heard something, quote, unnatural. A combination of something that steps on leaves and something that collapses. So, a rustling of leaves and then falling. He said, I hear a sound as if something is stuck or being pulled or something like that, he said. He immediately turned, he explained, and saw that Mia fell forward with her hands forward. 
It didn't look like she was taking her hands off, he said. Lost in translation again, I'm sure. He went to her and heard a sound that he perceived as, quote, painful, and then he thought that, quote, this is completely wrong. She was approachable, but he couldn't get a sentence out of her, so he went up to her but said she couldn't speak. He explained that he grabbed her and felt unnatural resistance, which he believed was due to a bag strap that had become stuck. He did not find out what the alleged resistance was. But afterwards, he managed to wrestle her free anyway, he explained, and Mia stood up. She was unable to speak sentences, only sounds, said the defendant, who claims to have noticed a mark on her neck. I, maybe he's trying to insinuate that she strangled herself with her own bag? He had a feeling she had gone astray, but he didn't call for help. Instead, he dragged her back to the car where Mia was making painful noises, and therefore he wanted to drive her to the hospital, he claimed, but chose not to. So he placed her in the trunk of his van and drove off, he said, because, you know, that's what we all do, right? He explained that he lost contact with her along the way and checked her pulse, which could no longer be felt. Although he had taken a course in first aid from the armed forces, he chose not to provide first aid, he admitted when asked by the prosecutor. He also did not call for help at any time, but instead drove home himself, he explained. Although according to his own interpretation, he had not killed Mia, as the prosecution believes. He felt he did have to hide her. He said he was afraid that otherwise he would be blamed for her death. He explained this by mentioning a previous case in which he was convicted of cutting the brake cable on a car used by his ex-girlfriend and her mother, a judgment that he, of course, disagrees with. During an earlier interrogation, the police asked him about his thoughts in the car, the prosecutor said. Here he replied, quote, I will have to take her home and get rid of her. And he took her home and put her in his bed because, in his own words, he wasn't sure she was dead. When it dawned on him that this was actually the case, well, he decided that she should be dismembered, he admits. He wrapped Mia's body in plastic, just as he spread plastic on the floor of his workshop and up the walls at the height of about two meters. Talk Dexter levels here. He then left his home to drive to Gem and Fix and also obtained some, Mia's, some of Mia's jewelry from the road. He bought solvents, paint suits, gloves, and buckets, you know, all the things Dexter would need. He also went to Menu to buy pizza, sweets, energy drinks, and bread, but he insisted in court that he could not eat anything. He dismembered the body into at least 200 and 31 parts in his home. It took more than a day, and in the meantime, he managed to go both go to work and to gym and fix again to buy the same things. Subsequently, he drove out to Droningland, Storskov, and dug holes where he emptied some buckets with solvent and body parts. He also spread the contents of some other buckets on the forest floor. He then drove back and forth between the forest and his home to hide all from the road, and in the end, he took Mia's belongings into the forest and burned them together with the tools he had used. The prosecutor asked if he was not thinking about relatives, so was he not thinking about her family? He did, he replied. That's why he placed the body parts in a place where they were much easier to find, he explained. 
Quote, I had thought that it would be hidden for some time, and then I wanted to say it, he said. What was that again? I'm scrolling back up. 231 pieces? Good God! So our next article comes from abc15.com. The title reads, Brian Patrick Miller sentenced to death for early 1990s canal killings. Coming out of Phoenix, Brian Patrick Miller has been sentenced to death after being found guilty of killing two women along Valley Canals in the 1990s. His sentence was announced Wednesday in a Maricopa County court. Miller had been found guilty of killing Angela Brasso in November 1992 on the eve of her 22nd birthday and 17-year-old Melanie Burness in September of 1993. The verdict had been years in the making due to Miller and his attorneys pleading an insanity defense. The girls both disappeared while riding their bicycles along the Arizona Canal in North Phoenix. Police believe Miller knocked Brasso off her bicycle, stabbed her, and dragged her off the trail. Her body was found near a bike trail. Ten months later, police said Bernice's body was discovered floating in the canal. Her bicycle was missing. Authorities said DNA evidence collected in the aftermath of both crimes showed the attacks were linked to the same suspect, and Miller was arrested for the murders in January 2015. According to police, Miller denied any involvement, although he acknowledged living in the vicinity of the killings at the time and said he rode his bike on paths in the area. So Melanie Burness's older sister told the court Wednesday, quote, September of this year will mark the 30-year anniversary of the gruesome murder of our beloved little sister, Melanie. Words cannot begin to explain the level of excruciating pain we experience every single day since her murder. We live without her smile, her hugs, her companionship. We live without her love. Now, Linda Brasso, Angela's mother, added, quote, The defendant stole my angel from the earth. Angela was my one and only. I will never be able to plan her wedding. I will never have grandchildren. With his actions on that night, he murdered my angel. He ripped my heart, and I will never, ever be the same. End quote. Okay, so in a sort of unexpected turn of events, since I just did a two-part podcast on Ted Kaczynski, as if all of you don't already know, some might not, this article comes from BBC.com, and the title reads, Unabomber Ted Kaczynski Found Dead in a U.S. Prison Cell. So it says Ted Kaczynski pleaded guilty to killing three people and injuring 23 more during a mass bombing spree between 1978 and 1995. He was sentenced to life without parole in 1996 after evading capture for almost 20 years. The 81-year-old spent the last three decades held at prisons across the U.S. Prison guards at the North Carolina facility, and it was a medical facility, I believe he had cancer. Don't hold me to that. They discovered his body around 8 a.m., before suffering from declining health, which prompted his transfer to the facility in December of 2021, he had been held at the Federal Supermax Prison in Florence, Colorado since May of 1998. 
So, and then it goes on to talk about his crimes, which I went over in the podcast. Now, I have heard that it could have been a possible suicide. I will check into that, of course. But um, yeah, so Ted Kaczynski is gone. And I promised you guys that I would read you his manifesto, and that I shall do. So keep an eye out for that. That'll be a little extra. And then finally, we have two articles, but they relate to the same situation. So the first one comes from Good Morning America. The title reads, Ex-Partner of Missing Minnesota Mom Arrested in Connection with Her Disappearance. The ex-partner of a Minnesota mother who has been missing since March under suspicious circumstances has been arrested in connection with her disappearance after her remains were found. Madeline Kingsbury, 26, was last seen the morning of March 31st when she and her children's father dropped their two young children off at a daycare before returning to her home in Winona, according to Winona Police Chief Tom Williams. The children's father, Adam, told police he left the house in Kingsbury's van around 10 a.m., but when he returned later that day, she was not there. Amid the search for Kingsbury, a Fillmore County deputy found human remains Wednesday afternoon in Brush off Highway 43, north of Mabel, Minnesota, which, quote, was located using information generated during the Madeline Kingsbury investigation, end quote, the Winona Police Department said in a social media post. Because of this, law enforcement personnel have arrested Adam on probable cause in connection to her disappearance. So Adam, who is 29, is being held on a second-degree murder charge online jail records show. The location where the remains were found, a wooded area off of a gravel road, had been previously searched, but Kingsbury's body was, quote, covered and concealed in such a manner that she was not visible. Unfortunately, while this discovery is not what we were hoping for, we are thankful to be able to bring Maddie home to her family, Williams said during a press brief on Thursday. Williams said he was unable to comment on her cause of death at the time. So, on to the next article. So the next article about it says that Adam was arrested without incident. They didn't initially announce the charges against him, but again, we see on an online report report that he was arrested on second-degree murder charges. Authorities have declined to comment further on the charge at a Thursday's news conference. So again, her remains were found in some brush off of Highway 43 in neighboring Fillmore County. Her body was discovered off of a low-maintenance public roadway and not on property owned by Adam or his relatives. So he has denied any involvement in her disappearance, so we'll definitely have to wait and see what has happened with that. And so, freshly back from a vacation, that's all I have for you guys right now. Um, please have a good week. Hang in there. We're in this together, as I always say. Um, if you are an international listener, I definitely want to be sensitive to the news in your area because the world is not just the United States, as we all know. So if you want to send me articles, you can do so. Most of them do through the Serial Killing, a podcast fan page on Facebook. Please come join us if you'd like. Or you can send news articles to me through Instagram at serial underscore killing. Or you can email them to me, serialkillinginstagram at gmail.com. Because I want to make sure that we're getting news from all over the world, right? 
So have a great week, guys. Love ya. Bye.